Welcome to Last Call, Jamie and Christian, our guest today, Brenda Fries, head basketball coach at the University of Maryland. Coach, how are you today? Oh, I'm doing great. I love it. I mean, the first time we met was on an Under Armour weekend um, where I think it was Preakness, you know, where they'd have all our coaches in. And I just remember those events being so much fun. <laughs> So much fun, right? Uh, I, I wish they would bring those back. They they were we had the time of our lives. Yeah, it was pretty neat. I mean, the Under Armour at the time they would bring men's basketball coaches, women's basketball coaches, and some of the football coaches and administration would come in for a Preakness weekend. Um, I always felt like it was like like hanging out at Willy Wonka's factory for for a few days. A hundred percent. You know, it it's a uh, pretty amazing though. It was out of that when Under Armour started kind of also doing the trips with the. Uh, men's and women's coaches and football coaches. And that's actually where I met Kevin Willard, who is now our head mm -hmm. men's basketball coach. So fun story there. He kind of sought me out because Maryland was one of his dream jobs if it ever came open and had a lot of questions. So I, you know, thank Under Armour for, you know, helping us build that relationship way back in from uh, way back when from their event. Yeah, they, yeah, it's great how they really wanted to establish like, that family identity from the very beginning. Um, and so many of the relationships that I have and many guests we've had on this show have come from the, from those weekends. So I thought that was always pretty cool. Yeah, really, really cool. And, you know, now it's even extended to our players. I, I know that, uh, you know, as they, you know, some of our professional players with Diamond Miller just recently going out and already having that family extension with Under Armour, I think is a huge asset for our players as well. Yeah, let's, and we're going to kind of dive into a lot of different things, um, but let's dive into uh, your season this year. Um, obviously, the success you're able to have, but I want to dial it back a little bit. Uh, you know, a, a year ago, you guys were hit like everyone with a ton of transfers. Uh, the bounce back was unbelievable with the players you were able to add. What's sort of your mindset as, you know, a lot of, a lot of our listeners, Coach, are, are coaches, administrators, what was sort of your mindset as you were kind of having those tough conversations last spring and with those individuals and then transitioning to that to getting the players in that helped you make that transition this year? Yeah, you know, uh, uh, clearly a lot of emotions. Uh, I think, uh, you know, now we're, we're all kind of settled in with the transfer portal. At, at that point, for a lot of schools, it was a, a new thing. Um, but I, I've really, you know, and, and like you said, really settled in the the players that we have here at Maryland are the players that that belong and and fit our culture and, and our chemistry and the ones that it's not a fit or they're looking for something different I'm okay with <laughs> you know uh, there's a lot of schools out there for um, the student athletes to to go find that better fit and you know I think for us it's just uh you know, when we were looking at, you know, last offseason, we ended up uh, signing nine new players. Uh, three were already from our freshmen and a transfer. So it was really like six out of the portal. And initially it was daunting. It, it uh, for our staff, it, it, you, you're wondering what direction to go in. But we just put our head down like we always do as a staff, went to work, got competitive, found the right fits. And I have to tell you, it was one of the most re rewarding years I've ever had in coaching is to to coach this team that we were able to put together and with such a new identity and so many new faces. Uh, but we got it right. And I think that gives us the confidence when we navigate now through the portal and through your own team, just finding the right pieces that fit your culture. Yeah. One of the things I love 
<clears throat> and we're kind of talking about this a little bit off off air. I, I just love how you coach your team, the level of emotion and passion that you exemplify for them and that they also give back to you. Um, I just think that's like such a gift to have. Um, and, and I've been there coach, you know, I've been there where we've had those lot of tough conversations in the springtime. And I don't think people realize how emotional it is for everybody. Um, not just the players, but the coaches as well, because you can't coach with that kind of emotion unless you actually have that kind of emotion for their well being. Um, so, you know, I appreciate you just being open to saying, you know, those are tough conversations, pretty emotional. Yeah. Well, well, thank you. That that's who I am. And, and, uh, you know, I'm lucky uh, just the way I was raised and my parents allowed me to be me and, and build my self-confidence. And I truly love, you know, basketball, our program, uh, young people mentoring, and, uh, it's the only way I know how to operate. And so, you know, it is, I, I think when you are passionate, you, you also set yourself up at times and, uh, you you wear your emotions out there, but it's the only way I know how to live my life is I get out of bed every single day and love uh, who I am, what I get to do and uh, the people I get to impact in our program and the people I get to work with. So I, I feel you know truly grateful for, for being in the position that I am in. Yeah. You talk about uh, Diamond Miller um, and just her, like, I mean, you always, you know, you always have such great praise for her. And obviously as a fan of the game, I love watching her athleticism, her versatility. What are those conversations like when you're talking to the people in the WNBA? What, what, what kind of other things do they want to know about her and, and what other things can you share about that? I think when you get to, to a level like a diamond Miller for, for any players out there, they truly know that you can play the game at a really high level. So Honestly, those were the conversations I would share back with the GMs and the coaches, as well as Diamond, that uh, they no longer were really evaluating her game. It was everything else around it. They, they were evaluating her mood. Uh, her Was she a good teammate? How does she pick things up? They were evaluating her parents. They were evaluating what kind of kid she is in the locker room, how she acts. So, you know, those, those are the pieces and it, and it really, you know, again, kind of validates your own college program to, to know and understand that you're also doing it right, because that's uh, the most important piece at, at the highest level is that locker room and, and a healthy culture and, and the, the dynamics within it. Um, but what I will say about Diamond is, you know, it wasn't an easy journey. When you look at when she came in here as a freshman, she started by coming off the bench. She wasn't even a starter. I mean, obviously, we knew she was really talented and she was sitting behind Kyla Charles, uh, another pro, when, when you came into our program. Uh, took time. You know, her junior year, she battled a lot of injuries, had a great sophomore year, then thought she was, you know, going to have this monster junior year and, and uh, you know, battled, you know, off-season surgery, injuries through the season, lost uh, some of her, her, you know, teammates when, when they went into the portals. So uh, it was a really hard transition into her junior summer going into her senior year. Uh, but again, can't say enough about uh, her putting her head down, believing, trusting uh, this coaching staff when she didn't know who else was going to be around her in those pieces. And, you know, to see it all pay off of um, leading her team to an elite eight, number two draft pick in the WNBA. And now to, you know, hear, you know, the endorsements and and whatever, you know, everything that's coming her way. Um you know, it was awesome to be able to see. She put her head down and, and didn't worry about the money and, and all of that, just put her head down and worked and it all paid off. Yeah. You know, I remember watching those teams when she was coming off the bench 
Um, and they were so talented. Um, I mean, there was just, I, I don't know if people realize just how incredibly talented. And one of the biggest credits I always give you when I talk to people about, you know, coaches in the offseason, who should we watch? I'm like, you need to watch Maryland women's basketball. And that's who you need to watch. Um, because I feel like you do such an outstanding job of having that talent, but allowing them to play inside a system that allows for them all to play. I mean, everyone brings a ball to the floor. Your break is it's it's spectacular. Two people run to the rim, and then guys, people get into the spots where they can play. And um, what kind of led you into that sort of philosophy? You know, because there's a lot of coaches. I mean, you probably see it as well. They have really talented teams, but their systems don't fit the talent that they have. But I feel like your talent allowed for players like Diamond Miller to continue to grow and improve, and it also allowed for players you know, like, like Angel Reese to be able to sprout and be able to play improve as well. And that's really rare to be able to do both. Yeah. Yeah. And thank you for, for saying that, because, you know, I think it probably started, you know, I grew up in Iowa and I even played up through eighth grade, the six on six. And of course I was uh, an offensive player. So I, I love to, to be able to score the basketball. And I'll say as a coach, when I first started, I was purely, you know, a lot of offense and, and have really had to grow my game on the defensive end, which is fun. You, you want to continue to grow as a coach. But the, you know, the system we run, I've always wanted players to be confident and know that uh, they have a lot of autonomy and uh, a lot of confidence to be able to do what they need to do on the court. And so our transition is built that way where it's really intentional, where um, all five get out. I mean, I, I Love the fact when you watch Alyssa Thomas, you know, she started with our break to be able to get this powerful forward that had the ability to handle the ball in the break and, and make decisions and has taken that into her game at the next level with the Connecticut Sun. Um, so it gives them a lot of flexibility. And then, you know, I, I, offensively, we're, we're again, we, we want them to feel comfortable. I've had to change a lot. You know, I had Brianna Jones. We, we ran more of a triangle type of offense to run through her when we had her. But um, this year we, we lost, uh, you know, two post players early to um, ACL injuries and we were already going to be undersized. So we ran a five out and our staff, you know, studied it and implemented and really, uh, you know, had a, a really fun year kind of almost, you know, putting a, a new offense in and, you know, you talk about as a coach, right? Like this is just finished year 21 at, at Maryland and, you know, 30 plus years. And some, some coaches, like you said, they're going to do it, their system, their way, but I always want to continue to grow with our roster. And, and I think that's what uh, continues to keep me really rejuvenated is that you want to continue to keep finding ways for your team and your individual players to be successful. Yeah. How important, you know, as you kind of go on that journey each year, and again, as a person who watches your your games through the course of the year, I, I've seen this evolution as the year goes on. Um, how important is is hiring the right staff members that can support that can sort of support that agility, um, and, and allow for that vision to happen? Uh, it's huge. It, it's huge, and I can't say enough about our staff. And you know, I love the fact right now I I, I have staff members that were like six, seven, eight years together, so we can almost finish each other each other's sentences and. Uh, the we're, we're all really connected of just trying to make this team, this program, these individual players, the best they can possibly be. And in a game with, you know, coaches have egos, right? You're, you're in coaching to, you know, you have a, you need to have a competitive ego, but we've all been on staffs where egos can, can get in the way. And 
I think that's what I feel just the the best about is that our staff is one connected unit. And I think it shows when you when you watch us play and you see, you know, how connected and and our staff is always constantly in a mindset to to continue to allow us to to be better. And I think when you're a head coach, I've always been a head coach that I, I want to empower my staff, my support staff uh, to, to, you know, have a voice. They all coach for me. They, they all bring different things to the table. We plan practices together. We're very um, connected with, within our meetings and our communication styles. So uh, I think it, it allows your staff members to, to really feel empowered and that ownership that, that they have within the team and the program. Yeah. I'm, as you speak about, it, I'm imagining this moment, you know, last spring where you're having all those tough conversations and you kind of have your first staff meeting together. And in my mind, I'm pictured it like just a collective deep breath because of what's what the perceived losses are going to be. And then I'm just picturing at the end of that meeting being like, all right, let's go get to work and a group bonding together and just really attacking the phone lines. Yeah, you know, it, it, and it is you grow through through any kind of adversity and being uncomfortable and our staff jokes now that there'd be, you know, PTSD when I would hit and, and you know, sometimes we'd be away to be like, hey, we need to get on a call. We need to get on a Zoom. We, we'd get on a FaceTime. And uh, again, I mean, we just were so connected through through all of it. And, you know, again, I mean, it's it's pretty daunting when you think about trying to sign six players out of the portal in an offseason and what that requires. You're not just recruiting six players. So, uh, you know, just a, a ton of work. You know, I, I will say it was probably the most challenging offseason I've, I've ever been through in, in all my years of coaching. I, I felt like I didn't reset until August. I went out of the country with my family, went to Africa and was offline, which was the best thing that could, could have happened on top of the trip and the experience to, you know, come back with the, the amount of gratitude that, that we were able to have. So, um, but typically, you know, right by like May, you're recharging in yeah. this profession and it's not the case anymore, which is unfortunate when, when you see in this business is like just trying to get a handle um, for most of us to, to get that balance back that, that we need to make sure we have. Yeah. You know, one of the players you signed out of the portal um, was a local kid, Abby Myers, um, who ended up being, I think, number 10. I have that right? 11. Yeah. 11, 11. 11. She's number 11 yeah. in the WNBA draft. I'm sorry. My apologies to Abby for oh. getting that number wrong. But <laughs> um, but I was here cheering and we have some local friends. So I, we were here cheering for when her name was called. Um, what is that like being able to to find someone like that who's had such an illustrious career at, at Princeton and then being able to come in there and make an impact right away? Well, I'll say uh, Ivy League players do really well here. Uh, we've had Katie Benson, now Abby Myers uh, in their time. And, you know, that's that's a, a storybook ending when you talk about a young lady in our area that, um, you know, came up uh, through the ranks, uh, you know, at the time. Uh, Princeton was the, the right level, the right fit academically, athletically. And through COVID and her journey at Princeton just worked and, and really took her game uh, to be able to to have that opportunity with that additional year to be able to to come back to to a top five top ten program like Maryland, just see those moments. Uh, her family and friends at every game. Her her grandma uh, throughout uh, you know that stretch. We did a team you know uh, meal at her home. We got to go there, seeing them in uh, you know the NCAA tournament, Greenville coming down there, and then 
the the finishy finisher going to the you know t- you know uh, draft and uh, you know being drafted you know in the first round again you know you just talk about a surreal surreal moment. Yeah, it was it was it was fun to watch, just watch her journey and and watch her come in and have that amount of success with you all. And, um, yeah, well, let's talk a little bit about that. You kind of just hit on like a player's journey and going to the right level at the beginning and then maturing up to be at a certain level. Um, I don't think people understand how important that is. You know, it's like sometimes someone goes in, you know, we'd have a lot of guys at the NEC and it's well, how'd you get him? Well, it's like he was an NEC player at the beginning of this and now he's an ACC player, right? Um, why do you think people generally don't understand like the progression of a player, you know, to be able to arise at a place like Maryland? You know, I think it's it's really hard. And I think sometimes in the recruiting process, again, when I talk about egos, uh, you know, we all have egos and you, and you have to, to fight between whether they're healthy or there there's something more that you need out of it. And I think sometimes within that recruiting process, your ego might tell you that you need to go higher or your family or friends are, are telling you you need to, to go to a power five when maybe you need to go to a mid-major and, and have success versus going to a power five and not being able to get on the floor. And so I, I think it's, it is. And, and, and then it's, you know, it's a process. I think we're all seeing through the, the transfer portal, a, a grad senior who's been in school for five or six years is, you know, has gone through everything compared to a freshman that first has to go in within that journey, which is the hardest year you're ever going to have when when you transition from high school to college. So I, I think it's, you know, just an important recognition that not everyone has that awareness to, to understand just the steps that it takes and also just finding the, the right fit, uh, the right style. You, you, you could go to a power five and be a power five player, but you go to a team that, you know, is a, you know, defensive team never works on offense and you, your abilities are an offensive player. You're, you're not going to shine in a system like that. So I think there's a lot of components that, that go into that, that I think you're seeing from the transfer portal there, there's a lot of reasons why people go in as well. Uh, you got to preach on that. I mean, um, I think the underestimation of system fit, um, level fit and system fit. <laughs> right. I mean, it's huge. I've, go ahead. It's huge. <laughs> it's like everything. It, it, it's, you know, being a head coach, if, if I view certain players being able to do X, Y, and Z are good players, and I view X, Y, you know, A, B, C, D are not good players, yeah. it's really hard to change my mind. Yeah. <laughs> <Right>? <laughs> um, but people consistently ignore that um, for whatever reason, and and that's you know that's not why we have the transfer portal, but that's why you that's why it's like really important to evaluate those in the transfer portal because they could have just gone to bad system fits or or coach fits. Yeah, a hundred percent, and. You know, I think it is like from a um, uh, prospective student athletes in, you want to do your homework and, you know, not get caught up in, you know, in my opinion, a brand, uh, NIL, you're, you're, you're searching for the wrong reasons, in my opinion, versus finding the right fit and, and finding the right, you know, system, finding the right coaching staff that that's going to allow you to, to, to help you be, you know, the, the best player you can possibly be. And, you know, oftentimes the, you know, student athletes, like I always encourage them when they come in, like talk to our players, ask them what they love about me, ask them what they don't like, you know, like ask hard questions. And, 
you know, oftentimes I, I think, uh, you know, that goes missing and, and just the ability. Now you have so much at your fingertips to be able to do your homework and online and watch games and uh, ask questions. So I, I think uh, it's one of the most important decisions you're going to make is, uh, you know, that future of where you're going to go, go take your next step to college. Yeah, I'll be so happy. Like, I'm, I'm a big fan of NIL. Um, I think over time we'll learn how to navigate it differently, better, whatever. Right now it's a little bit, it's a little bit chaotic. It's a little bit of the gold rush. Um, that's sort of American culture, the gold rush. So that's part of who we are. Um, I'll be, I'll be so happy the day when um, it just becomes a part of the conversation, not the conversation starter. Um, because you can't put a price on your happiness. And if you play basketball all your life because you've had a chance to play and now you're putting a value on your happiness, there's a lot of roads that are going to end with, 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 with you just being unhappy and not getting what you really want out of it. Yeah. Well said. Well said. I think when you're chasing that gold rush, uh, you know, are, are you going to be completely happy through it? I, w- I was saying this to, to coach on the road, you know, there's, there's great um, perspective for me when I came up through the ranks, when I was a GA making $500 a month, and I didn't come in it for the money. I came in it for the passion and, and the love for the game. And I remember when my first full-time, you know, uh, assistant job at Iowa State under Bill Finley, and I thought I had struck it rich. I was making $50,000. <laughs> and I just remember like, wow, like I have arrived, right? And, you know, there's that progression to, to that you've put in the work to, to get where you're at. And, you know, I do worry about when when all of a sudden you you come into you know, the, this amount of money when you're in college and what happens then when, when you go from the high and, you know, you, you then come into reality of the real world and uh, that that's not what it's like. How, how do you, how does your mental health, how do, how do you handle that? Because you haven't taken the steps uh, to, to prepare yourself for those moments. So a lot of things that, you know, and I get it, like, absolutely. I think players and yeah, you know, it's a full-time job, the the amount of, of work that, that you put in. Uh, but I do, you know, am concerned with, with some of the uh, ways things are going about now to, uh, you know, that are really impacting teams and impacting these kids. Yeah, it's, I know it will settle. You know, it's, yeah. it's sort of hard to figure out where everything is. Um, and then we also have like the, the COVID year seniors are kind of in yeah. there. Yeah. Um, I think that will help settle out of class. Uh, but there's just a lot going on right now in college athletics. Um, and, and it's, you got to be agile to be able to deal with it all and figure it all out. Yeah, you really do. You really do. And I think, you know, some of it, uh, the great thing is uh, we've got a lot of eyes on, on us in women's basketball right now. I've always said uh, when we won the national championship in an 06, it was like the 25th anniversary. We're 25 years behind the men. And so when you look at, you know, for us, just the, you know, ability now to to be on those national stages and and bring awareness uh, within our sport. You know, it's been a beautiful thing, and I just think we we want to learn from others' mistakes. We we want to be able to you know build our brand the the right way. And um, I think there's a lot of uh, you know pros and and ways that that we can learn to, uh, you know within our sport. Yeah, women's basketball right now is, in my opinion, right, my generation. Um, of my lifetime, it's just at such a peak. Yeah, uh, I mean the skill level of the players, um, the number of teams that can win, uh, the depths on the teams, 
Um, it's really, it's, it's been great to watch. I, I worked at camp last summer. Um, it was like an Adidas camp that was like for McDonald's all American type of deal. And there were a hundred and I think 40 women there, young girls, women, and the level of talent in the building was unbelievable. And we had a few of the top players not there. And I was just amazed at one through 140, whatever it was. I was like, any one of these girls is going to commit impact the team. And um, why do you think that's, why do you think it's grown so much over the last, um, you know, over the last 20 years, we'd say. Yeah, it, we just keep getting better and better. I think there's a lot more emphasis now and the visibility for for players to to get out there and work on their games. I mean, clearly there's there's a ton of trainers out there to, to be able to help these uh, you know athletes be able to to work on their games. But I think you know through it they've also when I think back to my time, I only remember watching the final four on, on television when, when I was in college and watching those teams. Well, now these kids are, are growing up at a really young age and, you know, being able to see games anytime they want on television streamed. And, uh, you know, that, I think that visibility allows them to, to see and dream what they could do. And I think you're getting a lot more, you know, individual, players that that are starting at a younger age and developing their skills and like you said it, it, there there's so many players now to to be able to evaluate it's made our game where you don't know who's going to be in a final four you can't predict who's going to be your your national champion and um i think that's what's making the sport so exciting yeah i mean i remember a time you know we're at this event and there's 140 uh young women there and you know usually the top 10 you can you, they usually kind of stand out right you're all right that yeah. but after that it was like wow like this is you know if i was putting if i was putting money down on stock uh women's basketball would be it yeah because you could just tell just the level of understanding and playing and some of it is you know you hit on some of the training you look at these training facilities now that have been built mm. and you just see so many people training at you know i i, I always say this people say, why is dc basketball so good dmv basketball where they were doing the training facilities, you know, when I was in college in 2000, now those are the first kind of training facilities that are happening with trainers and, and they're doing it for, for boys and girls. But now you look around and you see them all over the place. Um, you see, you know, you have, you have three or four in, in Dallas alone, three or four in Richmond. Um, and so I think that's just helped the, the nature of the game as well. It really, really has. And, uh, you know, these, these players are, are so lucky that they have all of this at, at their fingertips and, mm -hmm and say the same thing in college I, I always I just ended postseason meetings and and asked them what are the what resources are we missing that that you think you need and not one student athlete had one to give me because they have it you know yeah. they have guns they have the the uh you know all of the norma techs and recoveries and the individual strength coaches and athletic trainers and so the, the, it's all at their fingertips and then they have to put the work in if they want to get to the level that uh, the, these athletes want to get to. Oh, great. I, I got to, I want to ask you this question here. I'm going to read you a couple, a couple stats first. Okay. Uh, national champion, 2006, three final fours, two coaches of the year, four time big 10 coach of the year, ACC coach of the year, coming off an elite eight when you started your coaching career what did you think your coaching career would look like 
Uh, <laughs> you know, I started my career just, you know, I, I loved the game when I was an athlete and I couldn't even envision putting the ball down. So I was fortunate enough, obviously, to, you know, get that first GA job at, at Kent State and, you know, knew that, you know, I was hooked, knew that, that uh, I, I, I was in it for a long time. I remember looking up to Pat Summit and sharing with someone that I wanted, I wanted, I want to be Pat Summit. I, I, you know, would just watch whenever those games came on television. Little did I know what came, uh, you know, to, to understand when you get uh, that first job at, you know, Minnesota. And then when, when I got to Maryland, what, what that looked like. Um, and honestly, when, when I got to Maryland, I just, uh, I didn't have even have the comp. I, I believed we were going to be really successful, but I also had that, that little noise in your head where like, gosh, Brenda, just get a contract extension. If you can get one, that's like, you're going to have eight to 10 years at, at this highest level. Cause it was again, you know, a level that you wanted to make sure you, you could survive at. But I think what's probably allowed me to understand that this profession is just how I was raised and, you know, just to be genuine, uh, you know, I grew up in the Midwest and that's how everyone is when, when uh, you grow up in the state of Iowa, everyone, it's a family, you look out for each other. So, you know, relationships has always been my number one thing. I, I think you can be really successful in any walk of life when, um, you're just a really good person and, and care about others. And I was raised that way. Um, and then just having the role model of my parents to, you know, have a work ethic, like you're not going to get anywhere in life if, uh, you know, you don't put your head down and work. And I did that as a student athlete. And, you know, in all my years when, when I trained, you know, I felt like I was one of the hardest working players out there. And, you know, the same thing as a coach, I, I think, most players, uh, people know in this business, like they're always going to see me working. I'm, I'm going to be out recruiting. I'm, I'm going to be um, really trying to, to, you know, when, when Maryland, you know, um, believes in me, you know, it's, it's an understanding that I'm going to give everything I can to this university and to this program. I love it. We, we do this thing here on last call. It's the end of the night. Um, the bell's rung by the bartender. Um, it's the last call. Uh, on the left side of you, you have someone who's retired, cannot be family, because everyone tries to go with mom or dad. Right. And on the right side of you, it's someone who's still actively working, can be in any field. What two people do you want beside you at the end of the night? So retired and then someone who's actively working. Yes. Retired, the, the first name that jumps into my head, because I've only had minimal conversations with is Jay Wright. Okay. Uh, just always, you know, have loved just when, when we've had uh, the fact that he even knew me when he came into our gym one time to, to uh, you know, do a scrimmage with our men's team and just obviously watching him from afar. Uh, his, you know, values line up with with uh, mine. And then probably, you know, I'd say the same thing actively would be Tony Bennett uh, again through mutual friends, you know, I've heard and, and watched all of his stuff. I would love to like, you know, between the, the, the two of them just continue to, to see what, uh, you know, uh, you know, just, I, I think a lot of things I do probably line up just that's, that's why I'm connected with them. So those are the first two names that, that jump in my head. Yeah. I mean, obviously two guys who are 
national championship level head coaches have rebuilt different programs in different ways. Um, that'd be a fun conversation. I feel like, I don't know if, I don't know if, if I don't know, I don't know coach Bennett at all. I don't know if he'd partake in, in uh, the glass of wine, like maybe coach, coach Wright might, um, <laughs> but maybe, you know, you know, good call, you know, well, but I guess we don't, we don't have to have one drinking some wine, <laughs> you know, we don't have to be drinking buddies, you know, to, to have a good time. Right. And know right. what the posters always say in in the hallways. So, right. exactly. um, well, coach, thank you so much for your time. I'm so appreciative and obviously big fans for you here at Speakeasy. And um, if there's anything we do to support you, please don't hesitate to give a yell. Uh, well, thank you for having me. I, I've really enjoyed it. Thank you for joining us on The Last Call, powered by Speakeasy, where careers grow through relationships and relationships grow through Speakeasy. We hope you enjoyed it and we look forward to connecting with you soon.